It's Wednesday, May 25th. Thanks for joining us here on Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks along for the ride. And we've got a busy show today. Today, Real Talk is uh, real life, maybe more than usual, although we try to keep it real every single day. But when, uh, you know, 19 kids are murdered in their elementary school, it kind of changes things. It changes the tone of the conversation. It changes our perspective. And I know that everybody's thinking about this and talking about this. And so we're going to lead off with this today. I want to let you know, of course, and remind you that the show is uh, presented by Bitcoin Well, and a lot of people have questions about Bitcoin right now. They're trying to figure it out, what the future of it looks like, and are are governments going to be regulating it, and and what's all this talk about financial sovereignty, and can it be manipulated, or is it a hedge against inflation? And I know that there's a lot of information out there. never telling you to buy Bitcoin. I'm never telling you to sell it if you have it. I'm just advising you that if you have a question about Bitcoin and you want to talk to a human being about it that knows what they're talking about, I recommend Benny and his team at Bitcoin Well. You'll find him under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Our good friends are so important to us, aren't they? Our good friends and our family members that have our backs and, and, and that look out for us and that think about us in moments. And I woke up to a text message this morning uh, from my pal, Troy, who's uh, he, he's a retired firefighter and he's, he's right now pursuing a master's degree, a graduate degree. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to be a psychologist. And uh, he's also the oh boy, I'm already having a hard time teeing this up. I thought you I would. I haven't even started talking yet. And uh, so Troy's also a proud dad to a five-month-old, beautiful little girl called Rebel. And uh, I woke up to this about 6 o'clock this morning. A taxi just says, hey, pal, uh, I can't imagine what days like today are like for you. I imagine shows today after the brutality in Texas are hard. And he says, I'm thinking about you today, brother. Much love. And that just sort of infused some empathy into my morning, and I appreciate it. Uh, nothing different about my circumstance than yours, except for uh, I feel like a, when you step in front of a camera and you start to try to talk about things uh, like a gunman, a kid himself, an 18-year-old kid who the first thing he did, says people who knew him talking to reporters and investigators uh, in Uvalde, Texas, who are uh, all just shattered after this young man, an 18-year-old, shot his grandmother, who's clinging to life in critical care right now, and then headed to an elementary school, barricaded himself, crashed a car, barricaded himself into a classroom, and and shot a whole bunch of people. Uh, 19 children, two teachers succumbing to their injuries. That number had climbed through the afternoon yesterday. 21 people dead, others, many others injured. And you sit in front of a camera and you try to talk about it, but it's impossible to talk about because what do you say? Uh, In just a second, I'm going to go to somebody, uh, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, who had just remarkable commentary yesterday ahead of the Western Conference Finals in the NBA. Of course, sports still happens. Life still happens amid these tragedies. And Steve Kerr touches on that in just a second. But this is Rob Elementary School. This is and what a weird statistic to talk about the deadliest elementary school shooting since Sandy Hook 10 years ago. The deadliest, think of what, as the words come out of your mouth, the deadliest elementary school shooting. I was paying attention yesterday to Twitter when I first heard about this. It was, you know, people on Twitter started buzzing about it, and I got a couple of text messages uh, in particular. I, had, I was staying away from the news, not on purpose necessarily, but this is the type of story that just stops you in your tracks. It just stops your day. 
and I went to check out, I oftentimes try to show you what I'm, what's showing up in my timeline. And these are just people that I follow or people that my wife was following. Carrie was sharing some of these with me as well. And here's what some of you had to say about this horrific tragedy, this mass murder in the United States at an elementary school. Amanda Gorman said it takes a monster to kill children, but to watch monsters kill children again and again and do nothing isn't just insanity. It's inhumanity. That from Amanda Gorman. Lauren Corbett, who's a friend of this show, former fireman himself, said the Nationals on now. This was Lauren watching the news about 1030 at night last night. He says the Nationals on now the leading story about shootings. Lauren was watching the Flames and the Oilers. He says the Battle of Alberta was a good distraction, but real life is so sad. Kaylin Allen tweeted a government bold enough to force you to have a kid, but too weak to ensure that they can at least get through recess alive taking two prominent stories out of the United States, obviously, with the Supreme Court there. And Greg, who's a friend of this show, tweets at aquatic underscore rodent said uh, in quote tweeting Jake Tapper, Jake Tapper, you know him, obviously prominent broadcaster in the state said 15 have been killed at that time. The number was 15, 15 have been killed in a shooting at Robb Elementary School, according to the governor, 14 students and one teacher. Greg says it's an elementary school, so it seems important to me to say that these were children. And it does change the story, doesn't it? I mean, this is obviously horrific, no matter how old the people are. This Buffalo supermarket shooting, uh, visible minorities, in particular black Americans targeted by, again, an 18-year-old gunman who had, again, just legally purchased his weapons, body armor, same deal with the elementary school in Texas yesterday, body armor on an 18-year-old who had posted photos of his newly purchased rifles. Who knows if those were the ones that were involved in the shooting? I don't know if that really matters right now. Had been posting photos of these weapons on his Instagram a few days ago. Authorities telling CNN yesterday that he had reportedly also been posting threats on his social media. That people at schools should keep their heads up. I'm paraphrasing. So it's not just a nation grieves. It's not just the United States. It's people around the world. You don't have to have kids. You don't have to have a pregnant wife set to give birth in a few days like I do or a six-year-old with bright, beautiful eyes that looks you in the eye every morning and calls you dada when you walk out the door. But it sure hits a little closer to home if that's the case, but it doesn't have to be that way. You could be a teacher. You could be a school janitor. You could just be a human being with a heart that pumps blood through your veins who feels empathy, who feels anger in these types of circumstances. I don't think anybody said it better than the head coach of the Golden State Warriors yesterday. And uh, I want to play it in its entirety. It's just over two minutes if you haven't heard it. I mean, if you have heard it, I guarantee you don't care about hearing it again, do you? It's powerful. And if you haven't heard it, you need to. Here he is, Steve Kerr. Um, I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the 
moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight, but I want every person here, every person listening to this to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister, brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know, come on Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, the, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough. And now he goes. That was Steve Kerr. So he says, I'm not going to talk about basketball, right? He goes, we're just all going to go out tonight. We're just going to play the Golden State Warriors. We're going to play the Dallas Mavericks to see who can go to try to win an NBA championship. But this is what we need to be talking about. And I think that that was one of the more powerful expressions that I saw yesterday, calling lawmakers forward and demanding action now i know a lot of you're going to roll your eyes just like me and you're going to say well yeah like you said just about sandy hook 10 years ago what's changed from sandy hook until now and the answer probably is not much and you're probably going to wonder well what's it going to take because that's what we ask every time right even what i'm about to say what i'm saying right now this all this commentary if you pulled my commentary I was a broadcaster when Sandy Hook happened. I was a broadcaster when multiple mass shootings have happened. I mean, take your pick. I don't mean to diminish the impact of this or anything else. I'm not speaking disrespectfully at all. Quite the opposite. But if you wanted to do a monologue on mass shootings in the United States, you could do one every month. You could do one every week, probably. Five, six, seven people get shot. We don't even hear about it. It's buried. I mean, it's it's on you know page six of the, of the newspaper. It's 44 minutes into the newscast. If only five or six or seven people are shot and killed when it's an elementary school it, it, it grabs our attention it demands our attention but what changes i know we're here in canada and we're gonna say well things are different here and the attitudes are different here and it doesn't happen here sapria duvetti with some pretty incredible commentary on friday about what she calls canadian exceptionalism and she talks about it we tweeted about it from our account if you miss it you have to hear that interview and she just off the top of her head it was an unbelievable conversation have just off the top of her head just rattles off she says how about this and this and this and this and this in canada a muslim family mowed down by a by a driver you know a a madman behind the wheel of a vehicle who just took them down you know people people worshiping in synagogues and mosques uh, shot and killed i mean it happens here too 
I welcome your comments on this to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Of course, you can use our hashtag as well, RealTalkRJ, and we keep an eye on that. There's no answers here, friends, but we want to be able to talk about it to gather as community, and we truly do care what you think. If you'd like to send us an email, we'll leave some time tomorrow to get to some of those. I want to know what you're thinking. In just a second, we're, we're going to take a look at a, an initiative here in Canada that, that aims to acknowledge, first of all, that women were being disproportionately impacted uh, economically and otherwise by the pandemic. So what did this group of change makers do about it? We'll take a look back at its first two years. A little bit later on in the show, in about 15 minutes, I'm going to be talking to a pediatrician out of Massachusetts about monkeypox. Should we be panicking or not? Uh, Dr. Daniel Summers with some great commentary there. And then the leader of Alberta's official opposition, Rachel Notley, will wrap up our show. She's going to join me in about 25 minutes, maybe half an hour from now. Before we get to this conversation, I want to let you know that Friesen Brothers is built on family. This uh, Alberta's still family owned uh, string of stores, 16 different locations across the province. You know, this family, the Loveson, started this company more than 65 years ago, and nothing's changed in their perspective about what drives their business, and that is really good food and family gathered around the table. They know that great things happen with great food there, and you're not going to find any better quality food, more locally sourced than you will at Friesen Brothers. You can check out their locations online at Friesen.com. You can check out their weekly flyer specials, and of course, they've got their monthly specials as well. Events coming up like, you know, First week of June in Fort Saskatchewan, they've got a really cool music event going on. The Big Bands Bash. You can learn the details there if that's in your neck of the woods. And of course, don't forget the first of every month, it's 15% off every purchase of $75 or more at Friesen Brothers. Local Environmental is keeping it local in Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina, and surrounding areas across the prairies. Some people say it's only garbage, but not to them. They believe that communities deserve better. Better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. Go to localenvironmental.ca and let them show you how they can help. You can request a quote today, and don't forget, coming up on Friday, Trash Talk, presented by Local Environmental. We read your rants emailed into the show. I'm getting less and less political in the Trash Talks. I don't know if you've noticed. It's more like kind of real-life stuff lately. I like it. I mean, politics is real life, but you know what I'm saying. You're keeping it. The gum on the sidewalk type stuff. Yeah. Athabasca University is Canada's online university. If this is the time of year, you're looking around and the daffodils and the tulips are up and you're thinking about, I mean, the, the trees are starting, the leaves are coming out, by the way. Have you noticed? Love it. Beautiful. Spring is here. Summer is knocking on the door. and Maybe a time for renewal in your personal life. Maybe your career could use a jump start. Athabasca use world-class accredited online programs and courses offer you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. We heard from a real talker by the name of Jennifer She's studying to become a psychologist at Athabasca U. She took a mental health break for herself. She said, I was just, she said, I was just working myself to the, just, you know, the grindstone. It was just pushing myself. And one morning she went, why am I doing this? So she hit pause on her studies for six months. No big deal. She didn't fall behind in her courses. You determine the pace of your career advancement, your post-secondary learning at Athabasca University. Check them out online at AthabascaU.ca. Well, this is a really great story, you know, I mean, in in the face of challenging circumstances, and that's uh, my understatement of the day, COVID-19, obviously having a huge impact around the world, across the country, 
thousands of Canadians hospitalized, obviously many families mourning those lost to COVID-19. And then there's the economic side, the business side. People kept home from work, businesses forced to, to either hit pause or to completely shut down, some of them for good. And the more we learned about this, the more trends we studied, we saw that it was women who were disproportionately affected. And that's what prompted Pamela Jeffrey to start the Prosperity Project almost exactly two years ago. Uh, Pamela is the founder of the Prosperity Project and probably best known as the founder of the Women's Executive Network, uh, Canada's most powerful women. She's recognized in the Top 100 Awards in 2003 and the Canadian Board Diversity Council in 2009. Maureen Lesham joining us as well, a visionary and founder of the 482 Collective, a registered charity supporting women, children, and individuals from marginalized communities who have fled intimate partner violence, sexual assault, emotional abuse, and human trafficking. Uh, the 482 Collective was actually part of the Prosperity Project's matching initiative and we're going to learn more about that in just a second pamela maureen thank you so much for making time for us this morning i feel like i want to almost address this or bring this up with every guest this morning and i hope it's not too much of a curveball but we can see you in our in our waiting room you know ready to talk to me as we're talking about this horrific attack in uvalde texas and and the golden state warriors head coach steve kerr talking about it and, and pamela in particular i could see that you were moved by it just as a human being and as someone who advocates for women and families uh, professionally and otherwise where's your head and heart at this morning ryan thank you so much i have so um so many emotions this morning and thank you so much for talking about this this morning um i'm a mom i have two sons i just spent last week with my son in fort mcmurray um I have uh, part of my family lives in Michigan. Uh, this is devastating. And when you spoke earlier about the impact on families and communities and the country, I think all of us, we do have the answers. And I think the answer is for us to work together and that's what we're doing right now at the Prosperity Project is we're bringing people together and together we have the answers. Hmm. Maureen, you obviously work in a, in, a, in a difficult and incredibly important field, um, helping people that are fleeing uh, domestic violence and other circumstances. In a way, um, there are some common themes here when we try to process violence, in particular violence against children here and, and the teachers that were targeted and, and, and killed as well. Uh, obviously, I would imagine your heart breaks like everybody else's. But where does your mind go as you try to process it? You know, I echo what uh, Pamela's thoughts are, too. It's it's absolutely devastating. But I also think that it's unnecessary there is no reason in the world that with the resources and intelligence that everyone around the world shares that we should have to wake up to news like this in the morning. It's, it's just, it's unnecessary, unnecessary and inhumane. Yeah. Yeah, every level and and i appreciate you know the both of you we're here to talk about something different uh and and then we also we call the show real talk because it's just real life stuff and 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 sometimes you want you know you, you want to talk to the investigators that are looking into that story you want to talk to an expert on 
on, you know, like, you know, weapons policy or gun violence. And then sometimes you just want to talk to real people, you know, that feel real feelings that that do the work every single day in, in helping other people. And I appreciate both of you taking that question. Pamela, two years ago, right around this point, you launched the Prosperity Project. And now two years later, we look and we see the huge impact that that it's had. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But can, can you rewind the tape for us? Can we go back two years to, to to what you were noticing and what you were seeing around you and what prompted you to get this project rolling? Ryan, I was like everyone else. I was feeling really afraid of what uh, the impact was going to be uh, as a working mother I was really afraid of what it was going to do to my family. And I started to think about all of the women I've known for so many years and thought, you know, this is going to have a disproportionate impact, as you said, Ryan, on women. And so I thought, I just can't stand by. I just cannot not do something. And so I reached out to this amazing group of women I knew across the country in BC and Alberta and all the way to Newfoundland. And I asked them, would you join me in rolling up our sleeves and helping address what I think is going to be a really harsh impact for women and their families of COVID. And so uh, we, we got together, we knocked on doors to raise money and we started uh, working together and one of the um, initiatives that we have underway is matching hundreds of volunteers who are professionals with charities in every province and territory. And these are charities that are dedicated like Marines to supporting uh, women and their families. And charities, including uh, your thriving family in Red Deer is one of them where our volunteers are going in, rolling up their sleeves and helping do new business plans, helping do do new budgets, helping charities that really rely on revenue that has been dropping and really need a helping hand. So they in turn can help women and their families through this time. Hmm. And so it's been... um, It's been two years since we got the Prosperity Project up and running, and that's just one of the initiatives. And we're so proud and grateful to all of our volunteers across Canada who have rolled up their sleeves to help. People can check out CanadianProsperityProject.ca to learn about the bigger picture and how it all came about and, and learn a little bit more about the model. And you can also check out the482collective.com to find out what Maureen and her team are doing. Maureen, you you say you're actively reimagining how you help people who are bravely struggling to make ends meet after experiencing trauma or abuse. How how did COVID impact, how did the pandemic impact these people and and how are you reimagining how you provide supports through this partnership? So one of the things that we do every single day is we try to listen to the women. And our goal here is to give women what they need and not what we think they need. So we provide women with essential items, women that have fled, like you mentioned, human trafficking or uh, domestic violence. And we provide them with anything from food to hygiene packages, 
clothing, toys for their children, and cleaning supplies. And our intake process is a very slow process, but it's our opportunity to listen to these women and ask them what they actually need. So we, it could be something as basic as what kind of clothing do you like to wear? Or what kind of cleaning products do you like? Um, over and over again, we've heard from women that um, use our service that they do not want any canned goods because they are clients of food banks, several food banks, and they repeatedly get those. So we've changed that and started offering bagged beans to women so that they could, you know, provide their children with slightly healthier options. Many of these women are staying home to take care of their children. Many of these women have experienced financial abuse where they don't even know what a debit card is. Uh, many of these women have no identification. So even getting them, you know, to get back to work and getting the proper paperwork takes months. And in the meantime, they need to feed their kids and pay rent. Pamela, this is, I mean, I guess you could probably approach the answer to this next question from a hundred different angles. But when we talk about women who are disproportionately affected by the pandemic, we've, I mean, we've got some great commentary happening, as a matter of fact, with those that are watching us live right now on YouTube. And I, I saw this comment from Gilles who says men lose their jobs and they're victims of the economy. Women just, quote, take time off. I mean, does, does part of it start with the narrative? Does part of it start with how society talks about the economic impact of something like a pandemic? I mean, how do you approach communicating to the general public the toll that this has taken, why it happened, and then what we can do about it? Sure. So, you know, the, the narrative is one that, that needs to change. Um, think about this. The majority of working families are families where both mom and dad work. And families where both mom and dad work are often struggling to still make ends meet. And so when you think about moms who traditionally have been working now um, since the 80s in, in families where both moms and dads work, moms still, for the most part, are carrying more of the household responsibilities with respect to homeschooling, um, looking after aging parents. And so it's been really um, uh, hard for working families to make ends meet and get through the last two years. So I think we need to think about it in a more compassionate way and ask, what do working moms and dads and their kids really need? If there was one thing, Maureen, that you could leave our audience with today, and I really want to encourage people to check out the 482collective.com because you've got just the website's great. I like how you get into the numbers. You know, the number four represents structure and stability. The number eight evokes a sense of balance. The number two connected to wholehearted ideas like peace and positivity and cooperation. There's a lot of thought that's gone into this. It's very obvious. You talk about your connections to community. There will be people that connect with your group, that your group directly helps. But I think the whole ethos around this uh, can impact everybody's perspective. What's something you would give our audience to walk with and think about today? You know, we believe that if anyone wants to do something worth doing, and find great fulfillment while doing it, we have to work together, period. Beautiful. 
I want to thank both of you for joining us. This is a tough morning. I appreciate you addressing real life off the top. Hey, Pamela, congratulations on two years of the Prosperity Project. You you don't have an end date on this, right? Like once once the pandemic's all done and good, this thing doesn't die on the vine. I imagine you're just getting started. Ryan, we are just getting started. And the uh, companies that are sponsoring our initiatives are telling us just keep going. Just keep doing what you're doing. We need it. I love it. People can check out your annual report card, of course, marking your your second anniversary uh, on gender diversity and leadership. Some great insights there into uh, representation uh, and diversity at senior levels, uh, corporate leadership across the country. Uh, there's still some work to be done there, obviously, and a great resource there. That's Pamela Jeffrey and Maureen Lesham joining us on the two year anniversary of the Prosperity Project. In just a quick second, we're going to check in with uh, a pediatrician out of Massachusetts, Dr. Daniel Summers, who's just one of the more powerful and, and quite frankly, entertaining Twitter follows. Um, we always appreciate when, uh, you know, real talkers reach out to us and say, I just started following this person based on hearing them on your podcast or seeing them on your YouTube channel. And and I suspect that might be the case with this next fellow. That's coming up in just a second. Right now, I want to remind you that this time of year is when the team at Eden Landscaping is working hard on bringing outdoor spaces to life, including reinventing a lot of people's, quite frankly, boring and uninspired front yards. No offense to you. It's the front yard that came with your home. You're proud of your home. And you want to be proud of your yard. You want to use your yard to have the kids out there, to have the neighbors over, to spend that quality time outdoors through the summer months. You should ask Mike and his team about their urban front yard butterfly approach. It's an amazing new approach to respect sort of local plants, local uh, flora and fauna, and of course, attract those pollinators that are so important to our ecology. They're experts in all of this. As trends advance, so do the offerings with Eden Landscaping. You can check out their portfolio. Get a quote today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Also, big shout out to our friends at Infinity Healthcare. I was telling you about the career opportunities. They want us to remind you that they're always looking for skilled and empathetic healthcare aides, licensed practical nurses, and customer care navigators. It's because of the approach that they take with their personality matching service to make sure that they're pairing up their home care clients with home care providers that understand some of the nuances and the the special requirements of people that want to age in place, people that want to stay at home, maybe people that have some mobility issues. They don't want to be in a long-term care center. They want to be in familiar circumstances, but they need care that they can trust. They need it to be consistent and reliable. Infinity Healthcare is all about earning that trust. You can find them online at infinity-8.ca. Our next guest is a pediatrician in private practice in Massachusetts, Dr. Daniel Summers, also a freelance columnist. There's a good chance that you've read his work regarding health or LGBTQ issues uh, in the Daily Beast, in Slate, in the Washington Post. You get the idea. He's uh, joining us today, making his Real Talk debut. Doctor, I'm grateful you've been able to find time in your day for us. I know it's a tight schedule for you, and we're appreciative I wanted to reference something that you tweeted yesterday. You said it's amazing to live in a country where the leader of a nation being brutally invaded by a hostile military force. You're talking about Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky. That leader sends you his condolences because of yet another mass killing. You work with children and teens every single day as a pediatrician. How does a guy like you who wears his heart on his sleeve process something like what we saw in Texas yesterday? 
Um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be making my debut with you today. Um, it's extremely difficult to process, um, primarily because uh, to live in this country is to see this happen over and over and over again um, with no progress made in uh, remedying the underlying cause, which is uh, America's prolific access to guns, uh, which is a gigantic public health problem. Um, gun violence is the number one cause of uh, child and adolescent death in the United States, which is appalling. Um, and so trying to process it is a real challenge because what we see is a failure of leadership uh, on the part of those who are actually uh, in a position to make a difference on this. I appreciate you taking the question, and, and I know that your nation hurts, and, and, and Canada feels that too. I mean, our, our audience is saying that, and, and I think it's obvious. Uh, I do want to let our audience know that the reason we originally reached out to you is because of your commentary on monkeypox. And I know everybody's talking about this. This might feel like a hard swerve, but this is, you know, kind of how we roll on this show. We talk about what people are talking about around their coffee tables and around their campfire circles. I want to provide some context here for our audience. Monkeypox, um, and you can add to this as you see fit, doctor, uh, first recorded in the Democratic Republic of Congo in the 1970s. It's a rare viral infection. They say similar to human smallpox. Uh, about 20 countries have recently reported recent outbreaks of the viral disease, mostly in Europe. Canada's chief public health officer said uh, just a few days ago on Friday that they're investigating, a quote, a couple dozen possible cases, most of them uh, being from Quebec. Now, you're not a virologist. You're not an infectious diseases doc. We want to establish that. Uh, but this is obviously something that's on your radar. Your general observations around it right now. Um, first of all, I'm happy to, to pivot to talk about anything that happens to be on your mind if I have anything useful to say about it. Um, what I primarily wanted to talk to you about is the way that um, information about the monkeypox outbreak is being presented and discussed, um, certainly on social media and, and especially by medical providers who or, or people who hold themselves out as authorities with regard to um, providing uh, their social media followership with reliable information. Um, it's obviously important that we are paying attention to this outbreak. It's obviously important that if there are vulnerable populations who need to know specifically about what they need to be doing to protect themselves, that we take this really seriously. And so nobody is minimizing this and nobody is suggesting that this isn't something to monitor something of concern that's not what i'm saying but what is also important is to present information about this outbreak in a balanced and nuanced way um, to avoid causing undue panic or or contributing to an already incredibly stressed wearied population of people who have been through two years of a pandemic and don't need to be panicking about another pandemic on the threshold. That's just not what's going to happen. That's not where we are. And I want to make sure that people aren't hearing information that makes them feel like that's what's on the cusp. Mm. One of the things that caught my eye uh, from your Twitter account was a post from Dr. Eric Feigelding. And most people know who he is, an epidemiologist, uh, kind of one of the first to talk about COVID-19 in the States, uh, uh, faculty or was anyway at Harvard Medical School. And he had tweeted surging. He used this graph, this like skyrocketing graph. And he said surging monkeypox cases have more than doubled in the UK as the disease continues to spread globally. Public health officials have announced a further 36 cases in the UK up from just 20 on Friday, now 56 total. You said, I'm just going to flout float 
that this framing is really unhelpful, you say, purely meant to generate clout and that there are other voices more worth attending to than this one. You said the graph emoji really frustrating. You went on to say, I practice medicine in the state with the first monkeypox case in the states. Obviously, it's something I take seriously. I'll pay close attention to the same sources of guidance I've relied on through the pandemic who I have found to be reliable. What I'm not going to do is panic. Now, I hate to, again, keep drawing direct lines between COVID-19 and monkeypox because that's what most people are, are trying to get people to stop doing. But when it comes to determining reliable sources of information, trustworthy sources of information, a lot of people have been pretty much conversation number one over the past couple of years. So what do you tell your patients or what, what do you tell the general public when it comes to finding a voice you can trust? People will say, well, Dr. Eric Feigl, ding, I've been reading this stuff for two years now. Why not this? Because, again, when you put it in terms of a surging outbreak in all caps with an emoji graph that looks like there's this you know hockey stick upward, that creates an impression of a situation that's not really there. So um, as I said in the tweet, I practice in Massachusetts, which is where as of you know, last time I checked this morning, still the only truly confirmed case of monkeypox in the United States. So I practice here and I take this really seriously. And it's being reported that that one case has about 200 known contacts who are being monitored. Now, let's say two or three of those known contacts end up having been infected. And so we go from one case to four cases. One way of presenting that is to say cases are quadrupling and make it sound like there is a surging community spread, but that's not actually what would be happening. It would be that among a group of people who are already being monitored, it turns out there was spread within that group, but that's not the same thing as there being sort of exponential community spread, which is what surging and a big, you know, upsweeping emoji graph, that's what it looks like. And that's not what's the case. And so again, I object to and what I consider to be inflammatory kind of look at me language to describe what's going on um, for a disease that's very different from COVID. It's an entirely different virus. It's spread in a different way. Um, we've known about it for decades. There's already an effective vaccine. I think that to sort of hinge onto the concern about COVID to continue to keep yourself a part of the conversation is really problematic. So I, I mean, I, I've seen some people say, well, the best thing you can do right now is just make sure that you have the smallpox vaccine. That's uh, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to be proclaiming this. But but as we ask you in closing, I know you've got a jet. Uh, you've got your rounds you got to do. You've got patients that need to see you. If, if a patient says to you or a patient's parent, caregiver, guardian says to you, hey, listen, it is on our radar. We want to be proactive. We want to do what we can, do what we should. What are you telling them right now, Doc? So I am very, very pro-vaccine. I'm actually wearing a, a pro-vaccine t-shirt in the office today. I'm, I'm all about the vaccines. Um, but as of now, there just isn't an indication to resume mass smallpox vaccination. That's not necessary at, at this time. Um, if vaccinations are necessary, it can be deployed in a very targeted way to prevent spread within a community that might need to be protected. But um, we don't actually even have access to the smallpox vaccine, at least here in the United States. And so it's not recommended. It's not something that I'm telling my patients or their families that they need. Right now, it's just a question of diligent public health surveillance. And I think responsible public messaging and great conversations like this one. We'll get you back on the show sometime where we can talk for an hour, doctor, because there's 
there are many levels. I mean, your Twitter bio will let people know in closing. Strident homosexual, pediatrician who swears. I say my yes, wife. My wife says. Me. My wife says to me yesterday, "Who do you have booked on the show tomorrow?" I go, "Well, uh, the leader of Alberta's official opposition. She wants to be premier again. She's following you right now." And, and I said, "And a pediatrician who swears." And she goes, "Oh, I'd listen to that show." Hey, Dan, thanks for this, doctor. We appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah, you got it. Uh, Dr. Daniel Summers, I insist you follow him on Twitter at WFKARS. Of course, you can just go to our Real Talk Twitter account. And every morning uh, we tweet out the handles of who's coming on the show so that you can connect with him. Man, powerful commentary yesterday. I'll take a second to get into it. I mean, he he, he went on and, and, and like most people, when this news out of Texas sort of continues to wash over you through the day, you walk with it, right? He tweeted it about 10 after four yesterday. Maybe he was on his way home. He said, life in America is driving home from work and learning when you arrive that over a dozen children have been murdered at school with a gun. It is being trapped in an antiquated political system that allows a minority party that cares about nothing but maintaining its stranglehold on power and will destroy anything in its way in service to that end that will let this happen and happen and happen. It is being powerless in the face of a death cult that cares more about a fertilized egg than the woman carrying it and about obliterating trans people more than the lives of black people who simply want to buy groceries without getting murdered by a bigot with a gun. Nothing will happen because nobody's life matters more to them than their power. Not black lives, not women's lives, not LGBTQ lives, and fuck it all, not children's lives. Their base won't wear a mask, but will burn the country down if you dare come for their death sticks. That from Dr. Daniel Summers, who just joined us. Rachel Notley, in a quick second, uh, we want to remind you, I mean, how important it is. You know, I saw somebody in our live chat say, man, it's always tough to transition to ads after you have these tough conversations. Well, well, I'm not worried about that part. I mean, it's just like this is real life. Yeah. Right. And and, you know, we're going to this is not the type of show where we're going to kind of. You know, you see it on broadcast a lot. I don't mean to crack on people. It's just the shows that are always like, well, we'll see what happens. Well, that's interesting. We'll see what happens. No, we're going to talk about we want to dig in. And our sponsors are here for it. And we appreciate it. That includes the team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Been proud to partner with them since before Real Talk was even a thing. Matter of fact, I've been partnering with this ownership group for eight years now. They've got the best selection, sure, of Jeep and Ram and Dodge vehicles in the province of Alberta because they can share their inventories between the two dealerships. But I love dealing with their service department. They're always going to sort of shoot you the straight goods. I know a lot of people, when you're dealing with a car dealership, you feel like, oh, man, I wish I could have somebody here to speak on my behalf. Dealing with this group, I was a customer here before we were a partner of theirs, and I'm a partner with them for a reason. I personally recommend the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. The team at Kubi Energy is hiring right now installers. They're always hiring electricians. Plus, they're looking for some team leaders Some great opportunities. If you're looking to shake it up, maybe you have your ticket. Uh, Maybe you're an apprentice and you're looking to participate in this new green energy transition. There's no better opportunity in BC and Alberta than with Kubi Renewable Energy. Proudly based out of Edmonton and Kamloops, they're doing installations on homes, uh, commercial properties, industrial buildings, farms across Western Canada with the always uh, evolving solar landscape. You want to go with a company you can trust and kubienergy.ca is where you can get your free quote today. And of course, a big shout out to our friends, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood <laughs> Park. John, I got a new image for you. For those, for the benefit of those that are, are watching obsessed. us on YouTube, I am obsessed. 
talking to Carrie yesterday. She says, I was surprised to hear the cotton candy blizzard sort of wound up on your shortlist. She says, it's not really your style. Sounds like a Wyatt blizzard. Yeah, it does sound more like a Wyatt, but I wanted to go off the board when I tried one this weekend because I, you know, I've. I've done the Smarties thing for a long time. I, I didn't even shake it up at all for like 10 years. Didn't even just Smarties, Smarties, Smarties. And then tried the Score Blizzard. There's the Oreo Blizzard, always the classic. Yeah. But you got to get this limited time summer menu. You got to give it a shot. And you can do it at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. You make sure you let them know that Real Talk sent you. <laughs> oh, I'm ready for this. Are you looking forward to this next conversation? You know, I have a goal today. What's your goal? I got to get the follow. Oh, jeez. You can't say that now because she's joining <laughs> us now and now she, she's going to feel obligated. I'm so jealous she uh, follows you. Rachel Notley is the leader of Alberta's NDP. She's the leader of Alberta's official opposition and the former premier of the province. And right out of the gates here, uh, Ms. Notley, you got the producer of this show, John Hicks, already shamelessly trying to get you to follow him on Twitter. <laughs> so I don't know if you might need to go with the sympathy follow. I don't know what your policy is on that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty, uh, we're, we're pretty open to who we follow actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. right now, literally I would take 15 minutes trying to do that. So it would probably really interfere with the flow. Yeah. It would interfere with the flow of the interview. That was sort of like yeah. a don't call us. We'll call you, John. I just unfollowed and refollowed. So it's really easy for you. I'm oh, you unfollowed. He unfollowed you and there. then refollowed you. So he'll be sitting right up there. at the top of your notifications. Um, Hey, listen, you and I have had a hundred conversations over the years and you and I have, have um, certainly jumped back and forth between the trivial and silly and then the deadly serious. And uh, while this really has nothing to do with the Alberta legislature, you're a mom uh, and you're a human being. And I'm, I'm just curious to know, I've been asking all of our guests this morning because it feels strange not to talk about it, mm-hmm. um, how you're wrapping your mind around what happened, this horrific tragedy in Texas yesterday. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so horrifying and, 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 and yet it's, it, it's a different kind of angst right now because it seems like every report on it that we hear and that I've heard is uh, bracketed by, you know, sad reporters saying, and we're going to say we're horrified and we're going to say there needs to be change. And we're going to say we need to renew our efforts to bring uh, sanity to our uh, democratically elected institutions and nothing's going to happen. And uh, it is, it's deeply uh, frustrating to me that, that uh, you see this, this kind of horror uh, happening south of the border. And it's one of the strongest pieces of evidence uh, to support the theory that, that there are some really fundamental problems with uh, the democratic system as it's structured in the U.S. right now. And, um, you know, I'm not obviously the first to say it, but, but uh, you know, this is a problem that democracy and a majority of people should be able to fix and yet they can't um and um and 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 the the role of lobbyists in in their uh democracy and their ability to to block what is such fundamentally rational life-saving uh action is it it's it's disconcerting in terms of uh you know having faith in 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 their system so anyway I know that sounds like a really intellectualized and cold way to look at it. And I don't mean to do that. I don't that, think but so. It's overwhelming to actually talk about what these poor families must be going through. And, you know, so many families all across the U.S., you know, uh, if you live in communities where you feel ever so slightly vulnerable, you must worry about sending your kids into schools that I, you can't trust that I, they're safe. I, I can't imagine. 
I can't imagine. Yeah. And and parents that sent their kids, you know, they're like grade two kid or the grade one kid to, to you know, relatively unknown elementary school. Like nobody knew the name Sandy Hook outside of that state. Right. Up until 10 yeah. years ago, who who had ever heard of, of you know, this this uh, elementary Rob Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. I never heard of that school before. Mm-hmm. Those parents had no reason to believe that their kids wouldn't be. I mean, and then you even look I, I Listen, we got to talk provincial politics, I know, but I, I even think that the Buffalo supermarket shooting, there's going to be a lot of people. Yeah. I remember this after the Colorado theater shooting. You remember that one? The, the guy yes, obsessed with the Joker and, and people said, well, what, you know, it's a shame somebody in there didn't have a gun to return fire. I'm thinking, number oh. one, in a movie theater. And number two, there, there was a security guard shot dead outside the Buffalo supermarket. He did try to return fire. This guy was fully covered in body armor. I mean, like. It's just to the point where, and can I say, I know my thoughts feel scattered, Rachel, but I, I just, I, I appreciate your so, so-called intellectual answer because you're a politician and people want to understand this from different perspectives. And I think that the average civilian doesn't really understand how, how the power of lobby and they don't understand the power of donors and, and all those types of things. And yeah, sure, maybe it's a little bit different in the U.S. Senate than at the Alberta legislature, but there's probably a lot of common themes too. Oh, I, I mean, and, and this is where I do, you know, the Canada exceptionalism that people tend to uh, tell us to avoid. And we do need to be careful not to get too far down the road in it. But but I do think that our political systems uh, continue to protect them and fight strongly to protect donation laws, our lobbying laws, all those kinds of things are stronger uh, than than what we see in the U.S. right now. But, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are lots of lobbies that 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 pressure, um, uh, you know, politicians in different ways from from making decisions that you would otherwise think kind of seem like common sense. So, mm. yeah, it's it's uh, it's a complicated thing. But this one, I mean, geez, you know, like, come on. There's just who anyway. Yeah, you don't need paramilitary uh, weaponry available to the citizen as a as, as some evidence of a fundamental right. That's just the most ridiculous thing. Yeah, I do see a segue here. Uh, you wrote a letter to uh, Alberta's premier. Uh, I guess you still call him that, right? I mean, he's he's resigned, but he's still the premier. Uh, Jason Kenney is, and and yesterday you said now is not the time. For legacy building in your letter, you say uh, to Mr. Kenny in closing uh, to the premier, it's clear that you have lost the authority to pursue massive policy shifts like mining our Rocky Mountains for coal, stealing federal pensions from Albertans. Uh, You talk about imposing this new curriculum and you go on and on. It's an opportunity, obviously, for you to to talk about your party's priorities and what Alberta might look like if if you were to Mm -hmm. form government again next year. But. I saw what your colleague, you know, former environment and parks minister Shannon Phillips said yesterday, calling Jason Kenney yesterday's man. And it's clear your party doesn't really want to talk about him. You want to talk about your own vision. But how does Kenny's resignation impact what happens at the legislature right now? And how is it impacting your perspective? Well, I, I think in, in many ways, it, it has much less impact than most people think. And so here I come as, as someone who's sitting in the legislature right now. The fact of the matter is, is that this is a government uh, that that uh, came to power uh, through the, the election of the UCP. And the UCP is is a, a very new uh, party that, quite frankly, is not uh, capable of governance, is not capable of decision-making, is not capable of internal collaboration and cooperation. And I would argue in many respects, isn't even that interested 
in, in those things, because their fundamental thing really in many respects is to tear down government. That's one of their principles on many fronts. Um, and so uh, for a long time, we've got a government that's been kind of MIA, you know, they went off to, to Hawaii, uh, you know, well over a year ago in the middle of COVID. And then we had our, our premier MIA in the, during the best summer ever, while we, we could see the worst uh, COVID wave coming down the tracks at us and nobody was doing anything. And then, and then that whole theme was really uh, expanded dramatically uh, late fall last year when the volume turned up on the ongoing internal dysfunction of, of that party. And so then in January, what we saw was we saw the premier uh, task his most senior staff to leave the premier's office and go work on his leadership review. And, and I can tell you from having been in the premier's office uh, that you, um, uh, you need those people to run the government. And the fact that those people left to go focus on his leadership review, it was a sign of, of how little focus was actually being put on the people of Alberta. And, and so that was the, the dysfunction that led us to this point. And now we've got a different version of it. The whole cabinet is going to be in fight and and jockeying for position and we've got a a, a caretaker uh um autopilot uh premier and uh and and so what this means and the most important part of this description uh, to the people of Alberta is that what has been the case and what will continue to be the case is that we don't have a government that is focused on the priorities of Albertans. We have a um, healthcare system that is in the biggest crisis that it has ever been in. These guys politically removed a very competent uh, senior administrator who was trying to run the show despite the noise around her. Mm. They replaced her uh, with somebody we've never seen and we haven't heard anything from. Uh, and we've got evidence of a, of a healthcare system that's under more uh, crisis than it's ever been. We've got an affordability crisis that is putting a huge amount of pressure on, on regular families. We've got a government that promised a, a rebate, which, you know, how hard is it to get $150 out the door to people? And they've given themselves to December 2022 to make it happen. I mean, I, I, it doesn't need to take that long. I've been there. This It is absolutely not necessary for this to take that long and and so they're not there for albertans and that's going to carry on so in answer to your question not that much has changed and once they finally get a new leader not that much will change then either hmm. um what's the scuttlebutt on why uh Vernie, you the former ceo of alberta health services was canned i mean what are you hearing what are the rumblings well, you know, we don't we don't know. We're just on the outside looking in. What we saw was a a uh, public servant who was uh, trying to, uh, it, you know, to the best of her ability to uh, run a, a system that was under the most pressure that it has ever been under, um, and doing that while uh, dealing with a health minister and a cabinet that couldn't decide from one day to the next whether COVID was a threat or not a threat, whether vaccines were recommended recommended or not recommended, um, you know, whether they liked healthcare workers or want to pick another fight with healthcare workers, uh, whether they want to rip up a contract or negotiate a contract. And she's got to manage the system through all that. We know that the team around her was pretty thought she was doing the best she could. And uh, uh, I've been on this job for far too long. It kind of distresses me when I think about how long I've 
been in this job, but I remember the politicization of previous CEOs of AHS, and you probably do, Ryan. You know, remember Cookie Gate, or I'm eating my cookie, and yeah. all yeah. that kind of stuff, and and the the relative uh, um, uh, effectiveness and quiet competence that we had with Bernie Yu is something. Um, that we haven't actually enjoyed as Albertans in terms of who's running AHS for as long as I've been uh, in in elected office. So now she's been replaced by someone. Uh, we don't even know who they are. We don't know where they are. And we've got uh, you know kids who are lining up outside of children's emergency rooms just to get seen for triage. That's never happened before. Yeah, let me ask you. So and by the way, let me take an opportunity to shamelessly plug our own show. People can go back into our podcast and YouTube archives and check out our exclusive interview with Dr. Stephen Duckett uh, live from Australia. By the way, he stayed up late Mm -hmm. to talk to us on the 10 year anniversary. Ms. Motley, the 10 year anniversary of Cookie Gate, if you can believe it. Uh, (laughs) It feels like another lifetime ago. You and your party and you've been saying and you tweeted it quite boldly a couple of days ago. You said the NDP will fix Healthcare in Alberta and people are going to go, uh-huh, because fixing healthcare care is, is, is a pretty monumental task. And I guess you could probably take you, you could talk to 100 people in the province and they may have 100 different proposed solutions. So where do you start or generally speaking, uh, observing the time constraints of our conversation, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, right. Where do you start fixing health care? You know me well, Ryan, uh, because, yes, I could now begin talking sure. for a half an hour. Well, we have and- more time than you do. Your viewership will have long since you know, know. wandered off to do the dishes or whatever. But um, uh, listen, you know, you're right. It's a, it's a hugely complex issue. And, and there are issues that are unique to Alberta arising from the dysfunction that the UCP has imposed. Um, and then there are issues that I think uh, um, confront healthcare systems across Canada and quite frankly, across the world. And so some of those issues are harder than others to fix. But let's start with this. Uh, we have a, a provincial government that ripped up a doctor's contract and still hasn't resolved that issue that uh, began their term by threatening to fire thousands of nurses and originally, uh, in, even in the middle of a pandemic, proposed a 3 or 4% rollback. Now, I realize that that, that particular piece has been, you know, they, they, they now negotiated an agreement with modest increases, but they're still proposing rollbacks for our ambulance drivers, our paramedics, our, our respiratory therapists, our, our, our uh, x-ray technologists, our lab technologists. So they're, they're still on that front there. Um, and, and so the first thing you got to do is try to stabilize the relationship with the workforce. The next thing that you've got to do is you've got to stop starving the system. Uh, you know, you've heard me say this before. One of the unprecedented things about this UCP government is that they love to twist and, or simply lie about what they're doing. And on one level, uh, what they have done is, you know, the, the premier keeps running around saying, oh, we put $600 million more into uh, healthcare this year. If you look at all the line items that contributed to healthcare, as opposed to just the one that he's decided to focus in on, the fact is, is that they've actually shortchanged healthcare $800 million this year compared to last year. 
And that's when we have more people in the hospital struggling with COVID right now than we did this time last year or, or collectively than we did last year. And, and more burnout, more loss of, of healthcare workers, all those things. And, and now we're also now trying to catch up on the backlog. So that is not a time to, to pull out almost a billion dollars from our healthcare system. So what do you do? You put in stable, predictable funding. You, you acknowledge inflation, you acknowledge population growth, and then you have have a rational conversation about additional pressures that obviously exist in a healthcare system when we've just been through a worldwide pandemic, for heaven's sakes. So, so there's two places that you could start. Then you look at how do you deal with, with uh, creating a more reasonable work-life balance for family doctors so that we can find a way to, to attract more of them uh, to our communities and particularly into our smaller communities. And, and, uh, and then, um, you start looking at those other pieces, you know, what do we do to, to be, do a better job on mental health? And quite honestly, I'll be quite, we didn't do enough on that. We didn't have the time, uh, but it is a, a big priority. And I think COVID has really revealed that to us in a way that is even stronger than before. And, and we need to do better on, on caring for Albertans' mental health. That's part, that part of healthcare is still the most privatized uh, in terms of private delivery, but also private funding mm. of any part of our healthcare system. And so we need to find a way to, to make it public so that it is accessible to everybody, just not, not just the slim number of folks that can go off and pay for, for psychological services and, and counseling and all those things, because most people can't afford it. Yeah. Um, and so we've made some proposals around that, but there's more to do as well. So there's a few things. I, I haven't covered them all by any means. Well, no, but, and that's impossible. Yeah. And, and you and I can yeah. speak again, but I, I appreciate you bringing up mental health. I was proud to to participate in the Casa Thrive Gala a couple of weekends ago, and they're raising money for for uh, a great place. Yeah, yeah, for children and youth mental health resources. And it just to me, it puts that back on my radar and reminds me that there are families that are desperate to find mental health supports for young people. And if we're not looking after them when they're young, what are we even doing? Uh, mm-hmm. We could talk about dental care. We could talk about ph- pharmaceutical. We could, I mean, geez, we, we can talk for two hours right now. Um, I have like two minutes left with you. So I want to ask you about this tweet from a couple of days ago. You note that Calgary, uh, my hometown, has the highest unemployment rate of any major Canadian city. You point out rightfully so that inflation is rising at four times the rate wages. You say Calgarians deserve better. They need good paying jobs and a government that cares about helping them make ends meet. I don't have to tell you, you've got to win Calgary if you want to form government or at least do well there. And an interesting announcement caught a few people off guard, I think, when Alberta's current minister of uh, jobs, economy and innovation, the the, uh, relatively normal and likable Doug Schweitzer announced that he would not seek reelection. He's walking away from his political career, at least for now. That writing previously held, I don't have to tell this audience, by Greg Clark from the Alberta Party, who is currently, at least, uh, not involved in politics, which means that a pretty key riding in downtown Calgary, riding with a lot of money, a lot of white-collar people, a lot of decision-makers, a lot of people who probably had jobs downtown that maybe aren't working right now. How key is Calgary Elbow, and what would your plan for Calgary look like? Well, so uh, what, a, what a great question. Let me start with Calgary Elbow. We nominated about, I'd say, two months ago, a fabulous candidate uh, in, in Samir Kayende uh, in Calgary Elbow. He is a, a former energy executive and a financial advisor uh, to energy, the energy industry, as well as a successful uh, uh, startup owner in, in the tech sector. So he and a, and a commentator on the energy industry, the industry 
industry uh, for uh, CDC as well down in Calgary. So really an incredibly capable candidate. And, and so we're very excited. Uh, you know, this was before uh, uh, Doug announced he wasn't going to run again. We felt quite confident that, that this was a seat that uh, we had a better than 50% chance of winning. Um, and, and Samir just hasn't slowed down at all in terms of his campaigning. But even beyond that, I will say we're very proud with respect to the, the work we've been doing in Calgary. There's a whole bunch of uh, broader issues that impact all of Alberta, but I would urge your listeners, uh, if they have time, to check out our website, albertasfuture.ca. On that website, you will see uh, our downtown uh, revitalization plan that we released about two months ago now. Uh, it improve, it uh, includes a, a heck of a lot of detailed proposals for how to address the many issues that are uh, sort of interrelated and confronting the downtown core of Calgary. And we were very proud because we put that out well ahead of uh, Doug Schweitzer, who was actually the minister who had promised to put something like that out and and uh, did not. Um, and then when he finally put his out about two months later, it had nowhere near the detail in it or the commitments in it as as ours did. And we were a little opposition and he was a minister with all the the, the benefits of, of having a, a strong um, a bureaucracy behind him to give him that extra support. So we're very excited about that plan. And uh, we urge people who are interested in that issue, your, your listeners who are from Calgary, uh, to check it out on Alberta's future.ca because we essentially want to partner with the city. We want to help with conversions and we want to engage in a number of different strategies to bring people uh, to the downtown. So we spent a lot of time, uh, uh, Joe Cece and me and, uh, and others conferring with um, a, a range of stakeholders in downtown Calgary um, to get uh, that, that plan put together. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a good first step. All right. Good stuff. I've got to let you go. I know you have a busy morning. Thanks for making time for us today. But before I do, uh, somewhat of a trivial question, but a lot of people will read a lot into this. So answer very carefully uh, <laughs> uh, what I was talking about right before we welcomed you to the show. Some real talkers want to know what's your go to Dairy Queen Blizzard. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very traditional. I like the uh, mint chocolate chip. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. Yeah. That's Rachel Notley. The leader. Thanks for doing this. Leader of Alberta's All official right. opposition. Hey, yeah, you bet. We'll talk again soon. My fingers were crossed through that whole interview. I'm just like the Wi-Fi was kind of like. I know. Just, it was in and out. But, I was but, like, please. But, but come on. Come on. You're kind of cheering for the <laughs> Wi-Fi. But I appreciate Rachel Notley making time for us this morning and to her team for making that interview happen. Of course, we've always got invites out to people across the political spectrum representing different political parties. And uh, and, and we do hope to speak with Minister Doug Schweitzer. We put in an ask with, with his team and uh, perhaps closer to to his way out, perhaps as he gets close to, to wrap up his term as Minister of uh, Jobs, Economy and Innovation, maybe he'll make some time to talk to us. Uh, had relatively, I mean, it all depends, right? Everything's so partisan, of course. Um, we try to, you know, on this show, well, we are nonpartisan, but we try to sort of take a balanced perspective and say, like, sort of what are people on the left saying? What are people on the right saying? What are people stuck in the middle, right, saying? I've always thought that would be a good billboard for the show. Clowns to the left of us, jokers to the right. Here we are, stuck in the middle with you. I'm a centrist with you. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're proud to be stuck with you, real talkers, and uh, and to welcome those of you on, on either side of the political spectrum as well. Always encouraging good conversation. Uh, we're going to be heading out to Jasper in just a second. It's a Wednesday tradition on this show, and, and I also want to get to an email. Uh, this was a great email from Megan, who reached out to us after our hockey talk yesterday. She said we missed... 
talking about something. Uh, she said it was a good opportunity that we missed. And I don't think we I, missed it. Well, we just but I wrote jam packed yesterday. You know what? We were jam packed, and and but I I wrote Megan back. I said, you know what, Meg? I said I I appreciate that. I said you're right. And I'm going to make time to talk about it on totally. the show tomorrow. We so I mean it's not just lip service. We really appreciate your interaction with this program, and some of you put so much time and thought into your emails. Uh, we always want you to know that we do read those emails. We try to respond to as many as we can, uh, and of course, uh, if we have time, we want to make time to to put those emails in front of you on the show. We we also, of course, keep a keen eye on our hashtag RealTalkRJ, which is powered by the team at Park Power. And one of the things I want to remind you about this locally owned utility company is that they provide these utility bundles. You know, you look at these admin fees. If you're the type that looks on like page two of your bill, you want to go, how, did, how is my utility bill this much? And then you start to look at the breakdown. The admin fees are massive. Well, you can make life simpler and get three utilities from one Smooth operator. Smooth operator. No, that, that beat. Is then a smooth operator. Okay. All right. Your friendly local park power. You can bundle your utilities. You can check it out at parkpower.ca. Pay zero dollars. Zero electricity and natural gas admin fees for six months when you signed up. And don't forget when you sign up to use the promo code 2022-RealTalk. That's shoddy, right? Smooth operator. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah, we can't actually use the song. I don't think you can even say it. Or we'd I think, have to I, I think we pay just, royalties. We just five bucks. That was five bucks right there. Yeah, actually, I don't <laughs> even think we get paid royalties. I, th- I, I, we would pay the royalties. I think it's. I think just YouTube would just shut us down for copyright violation. That beat with you singing, you could have fooled them. We could have been flagged. It is a perfect. And then a smooth. All right. Okay. Uh, it's good that I'm like off key and way off base on the song, so it's not going to trigger the algorithm. You know, it's good stuff. Um, before we get out to Jasper, let me read this email because this is a good one. And, and this yeah. is, hey, man, this is real life. When you look around you, this is what's going on right now. The, the Colorado Avalanche and the St. Louis Blues, you know, obviously a tough series there. Uh, the Avs want to live up to their to their billing. Their star, Nathan McKinnon, wants to meet Connor McDavid in the Western Conference Final and have... You know, two of the top five players in the league battle and I think to go to the group, Stanley Cup final. That group, like this is this is this is go time. This is their last chance. Like, and anything less than them getting to the finals, I think, is going to be a failure. You're talking about Colorado, season. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They've they've put that team together, and that includes Nazem Kadri. Yes, and Nazem Kadri collided with St. Louis. Don't worry, this isn't this isn't really much about hockey. Uh, no. Megan's email in just a second, but for context, Nazem Kadri, who's a great player, he's having a career year. He's uh, a in bit Colorado. of a pest, though. He is a bit of a pest. But that's, yeah, but Toronto, who cares? I mean, that's so why he's, it's part of the reason why he's great. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, he also gets flack uh, because of his ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And that's been on full display. He collided with St. Louis Blues goalie Jordan Bennington and knocked Bennington out of the series. And uh, Bennington threw a water bottle at him. You see this when Kadri's doing an interview with the yeah. broadcast crew. And uh, Bennington, a bit of a. Well, a I mean, dink he's, himself. he's frustrated. He's, know. You know, I don't know about throwing water bottles, but. And so here's the deal. Um, Nazem Kadri has and his family have been subjected to, to racist attacks for like ever since the collision happened. And not just St. Louis Blues fans, as if that matters, but people across the hockey world. And, and uh, Nazem's wife, Jazzy, Jazzy Kadri on her Instagram has been posting some of the messages that she's been receiving. She said, I basically want to give you an idea of what our family's been dealing with over the past couple of days. She says, I'm, I'm proud of Nazem. Uh, and what he's been doing, but this is absolutely horrific. We're not going to read the messages. We can't read them. They're that bad. Well, they're that bad. I mean, yeah. they're horrible. They're threatening. They're racist. They're completely unacceptable. 
And I appreciated this message from Megan yesterday. We had Andrew Walker on the show, host of The Hedge at thehedgepod.com. We were talking about the Battle of Alberta because in our world, that's a big deal. And what a win last night by the Oilers to mm-hmm. go up 3-1 in the series. Uh, but Megan says, I appreciate this was right after the show. It was like two o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. She says, I appreciate that you wanted or needed to talk about the Oilers and the Flames, but I feel that there was a huge opportunity missed today. Megan says, we all need to be speaking up about what's happening online to Nazem Kadri and his family because they're Muslim. And it's disgusting. And the league and the St. Louis Blues have, for the most part, been silent about what's been going down. Please do not be complicit. Megan says, please use your platform to talk about this toxic, racist hockey culture that just keeps establishing itself as so pervasive. Uh, thank you in advance. That from Megan. And I really appreciate that, Megan. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw somebody. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I'm, I'm always scrolling, right? I'm always trying to get a sense of where people are at, what people are saying, what people think. And I saw yeah. somebody talk about this initiative. You know, hockey is for everyone. And there, there's been a lot of work that's gone into that. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, the Pride Tape Initiative. And, and, and you've got uh, black hockey players, BIPOC hockey players, uh, visible minorities, um, you know, that, that have happened to play professional hockey different levels that have stepped up and taken real leadership roles. I think of Matt Dumba in -hmm. Minnesota. I think of Darnell Nurse that's done amazing work with the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, you know, Jerome McGinley in past and a lot of hockey players have stepped forward and talked about their personal experience. Akeem Alou, uh, who who played, you know, sort of had a cup of coffee in the pros, but he talked a lot. There's a powerful video out of him talking about how he was told he's a black man and he he was told, you know, he he should cut his hair if he wanted to make it in hockey and these types of things. Yeah. And I saw somebody yesterday say, you know, we keep hearing that hockey is for everyone, but with racist incidents, it seems almost every year, almost every season, it's clearly been established that hockey right now is not for everyone. And that needs to change. A hundred percent. And these initiatives are so important. And people, they like, you know, they're like, why are you hammering LGBTQ issues? Why are you hammering hockey is for everyone? Let's just play hockey. Well, this is why. And it's there's absolutely no excuse for the stuff that he received in his inbox. And uh, there's actually one guy who's being called out. I think he's going to lose his job. And uh, his brother actually uh, texted one of the guys who originally posted like all the names of the people who had inboxed him. Yeah. And he said, please, you know, this is this is affecting my family and my brother's work. And what about Nassim's family? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not for like, you know, turning the other cheek and destroying someone else's life. That's not what it's about. But like, there has to be, and we were talking about this on the hedge with Andrew yesterday, there has to be responsibility for your actions on social media these days. And people think they can just say whatever they want and get away with it. And th- there's gotta be like, there has to be more action towards p- literally people being charged with things because well, this is hate speech. This is, uh, it, 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 it's it's uh what's the word i'm looking for here right well it's, i mean i don't i mean horrific disgusting deplorable unacceptable like it's it's verbal assault but this it, isn't like it's not like jazzy Kadri on her instagram Nazi. is uh, oh, jazzy, no, his, yeah his wife yeah so she's the one that sort of and it, she's she's like she's not on the ice no, she has nothing, this has nothing to do with it. If, if someone was sending her a message, like, first of all, leave the leave the families out of it. Number one, I mean, yeah. like first. Well, I guess number one is like, come correct and knock it off. Generally speaking, number two is leave the families out of it. But it's not like these people are sending her messages saying like, eh, I think Nazem could have hit the brakes and shouldn't have hit the goaltender. And I think that that I think he should have earned a suspension. Yeah, these are like death threats and racist and, and talking about the, the family's history and talking about the religion. I mean, it's just 
totally out of control. And this is something that I know that the league, and it's not just limited to hockey. We've seen horrific incidents in baseball and football. And what, what some what of these was that soccer incidents where literally people got charged after yeah. this guy missed a penalty kick. It's like, and, man, it's sports. It's fun. And I know people get emotionally invested, but in the end of the day, it's, this is a game. Well, and you always like, kind of wonder, too, like just because it gets emotionally invested, that's where people go. Yeah. You know, you people will say, I'm not racist. And then you get super upset. And that's where you go. Well, that's that's Hint, you might be racist. Well, that's what Andrew was saying on the head yesterday is like this is an inherent problem on how someone was raised. This isn't like like the guy said on Twitter, stop. This is affecting my family. My brother was drunk when he sent the message. Well, jeez, that's not an excuse. Like yeah. if you say something like that, you send something like that. Uh, yeah, you're a racist. Jillian that's on our live chat says hockey isn't for everyone. She says never has been. You know, being in a crowd of drunk white dudes isn't for everyone. <laughs> you know, Hope says, I'm sorry, but there are consequences to people's actions. Right. She says it's just a game. Leave the families out of this. They have nothing to do with this. I saw a couple of people applauding that that. Uh, Mrs. Kadri had left the names in. You touched on this. It left the names in when she posted the screenshots of like, yeah. she says, this is just some of what we're seeing. Um, and she left the names on. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? And then you have people saying, well, what is she doing? She's, you know, doing the exact thing. What did like, you think was going to happen? Exactly. People think they can just say whatever they want and then try to blame her yeah. when she tries to expose it. But hey, Nazem had his revenge. A hat trick the very next night. Guy's unreal. Insane. And kept his composure, didn't fight anyone, didn't take any penalties. He's a pro. Yeah. But, you know, you th you know, you know what? I, be I bet if you had a chance to sit down with Nazem Kadri and maybe he'd be uh, even more candid sort of sort of off camera mm. or off the record. But I I I'm going to go ahead and wager a guess that this isn't the first time that he's encountered racism oh, or man. hate speech through the course of his career. A hundred percent. And he said in the postgame interview, he's like, I just used it as fuel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to play. So. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and even if you're not a fan of them, because, hey, the way things are looking, we're probably going to be up against Colorado here, the Edmonton Oilers in the next round. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not about <laughs> like when people get mad at Brad Barshan, they don't go to his, you know, heritage, his Italian heritage or or whatever. You know, yeah. they just call him names. But it's just, well, it's easy targets it's, and it's low it's, brow. It's and so. It's, yeah. So, Megan, uh, thank you for the email. And uh, we're always obviously happy to talk about this stuff. And I guarantee you that there are things that we're not covering on today's show that do demand our attention. And and that's why Real Talk is we ask you to actively participate like Megan did in helping us shape the editorial direction of the show. We always want you to feel I mean, if I can say it with a bit of a smile on my face, we always want you to feel like the smartest person in the room, but at least like you have good, clear understanding of not just the headlines, but into the headlines and why things are the way they are and, and better understanding what things mean to each one of us. I wanted to wrap today's show on a real positive. And every Wednesday, thanks to our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have a chance to get out to the mountains. It's a feature we really appreciate. We call it My Jasper Memories. And in the spotlight today, a reminder that being in a national park, as I always say, filling our lungs right now with the metaphorical fresh air. But, you know, when you, when you get into Jasper, you pass through Hinton and then you start to lose your reception. You know, your your uh, you know, if you're streaming music while you're driving, up, it starts to get a little choppy. And that's when, you know, you're in the park and you got to keep your eye out for the bighorn sheep and the elk and the deer on the side of the road and those mountain goats, too. I mean, it's just it does something to your spirit, doesn't it? It doesn't take a huge 
leap of faith to imagine that people that are lucky enough to live in Jasper full time are probably pretty happy. But unless you're one of those 5,000 or so people, then you're, you're likely to be there on vacation. You know, recent research shows that the reasons you see so many smiles in national parks, it goes beyond having a break from the day to day routine. There's growing evidence that being in the mountains actually contributes to overall wellness. Intuitively, we know that nature's good for us. We go outside and and barring any surprise emergencies, we feel better. And thanks to scientific advances, we're learning more and more about why being in nature has such positive effects. Medical professionals around the world, in Japan, for example, are actually starting to prescribe time in nature. In Japan, they call it forest bathing. And it's become a common therapeutic treatment. In Scotland, physicians are adding hiking to recommended treatment plans for people living with anxiety or depression in the u.s some researchers have decried the rise of what they're calling nature deficit disorder among screen addicted kids and teens in jasper even the mayor follows the town's unofficial motto a bike ride a day keeps the doctor away well the good news is the evidence suggests that these benefits can come from even small doses of what they're calling ecotherapy as little as a 15 minute walk in a park can have a really positive effect I mean, imagine the impact of the three or four or five or six days in the Jasper backcountry. So here's a few ways that Jasper can help you be a better you. You can go for a hike or a paddle, get outside the trails, just steps from the doors of most accommodations out there. You can indulge in yoga, maybe with a side of panoramic views. Canadian Skyline Adventures is offering a new tour this year that includes a guided hike and a yoga practice. How cool is that? And then, of course, you can get a treatment at one of the best spas in the country. At the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, your extensive wellness menu itinerary can include the eucalyptus steam room and sauna. I've been there. It's phenomenal. A new 20-person outdoor hot tub and a heated pool and customized treatments at that spa with some of the most remarkable views that you're going to find anywhere. You can learn more about wellness initiatives and some of this new scientific evidence. It's really fascinating stuff on the website, jasper.travel slash realtalk. You can also check out past features of My Jasper Memories here on the show. We want to remind you, if you're sharing some of your Jasper memories on Instagram or Twitter, make sure you hashtag My Jasper, hashtag RealTalkRJ, and there's a very good chance that you'll see them featured right here on the show. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to take a look at that Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Plus, we'll follow up on the stories that are making news here today. Of course, we keep our eye on happenings through the day and we listen to you, our audience. We encourage you to be in touch. Share the interviews that have resonated with you, with people to whom you think it may have the same effect. And thank you in advance to everybody who likes and subscribes, shares and comments on our content. It infuses energy into our day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Lawrence Sterlego, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, 
home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.